Welcome to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thank you very much for choosing to listen to this. I'm Mark Stephen. This series of QMS podcasts is based around the theme of education. Now, obviously, education comes in different guises. Some is classroom-based, some is online-based, and some folk like that. It's comfortable for them. But others find it easier to learn by example, to actually learn on the job. Now, that can have real advantages for any employer in that you can train new staff in precisely the way you want them to work. It can, however, also have disadvantages. Andrew Johnson has worked for Borders College for nigh on 25 years. Prior to that, he was a tenant farmer. He was the course tutor for agricultural apprentices for many years, but currently he is their role curriculum learning manager for land-based studies. He's got a particular interest in livestock and upland farming. Andrew, thanks for agreeing to do this. Uh, no problem. Thanks, Hill. Delighted to be here to discuss uh, land-based apprentices. Well, good to have you. And Sean Williams came from a mixed livestock farm in Wales. Uh, He worked for the Scottish Government for a while, and he's currently working as farm manager at the Duke of Buccleuch's Bow Hill Estate in the Borders. Now, Bow Hill is a leaf demonstration farm, and it's big. 17,500 acres, 540 suckler cows, 8,000 ewes, they've got hinds for venison, 30,000 hens and a 200 kilowatt anaerobic digestion unit. Now, he runs all of that with 12 staff, and one apprentice. Uh, Sean, nice to have you do. Hi, thank you, Mark. It's uh, more than happy to to chat about what we do. I wanted to get straight into that because, let's face it, I mean, what I've just reeled off, given your workload, I would have thought the last thing you'd want to do is to take on an apprentice. Why do you do it? We're a very different business to a family farm, obviously, because it's all employed labour. So one thing is important for us is succession. So we need a succession of staff coming forward. So we, we view apprenticeships as a means of bringing new people into the business, training them up, whether it's for our own future use, but also to be able to train it for, for the industry. And this part and parcel what we want to achieve as a business. And is that common, Andrew? I would have thought it would tend to be the big enterprises, big farms, etc., that would take on apprentices. Is that the case? The big farms in the States uh, have traditionally supported us at Borders College with taking on apprentices and probably are used to doing that, not just in land-based apprentices, but, you know, some sometimes in, in, in other technical areas. But what we're seeing now is we're seeing more and more family farms and, and smaller operations buying in to the apprenticeship scheme. Sean's just mentioned succession planning. I think farmers generally are realising that, that is vital to get new people into the industry. So we're seeing it across the board from tenant farmers that previously haven't employed anybody to states like uh, Bow Hill that have had apprentices on a rolling programme over several years. Sean, how big a burden is it having an apprentice? I would say it all depends on your infrastructure and your staff and the people that you engage with you know if you if you engage well with the people or with the apprentices then um then the apprentices will you'll get more out of them but also i wouldn't i would never call an apprentice a burden because the argument is we've all had to learn somewhere in the role we're doing so if we don't give give the opportunity to learn then uh, then how are they ever going to pick up what, what's needing needing to do or or or, uh, or the role so yeah so we've been we I wouldn't. I would never call it a burden. It's a. It's a. I would say it's. It's a case of putting time in to actually explain and and make sure that they're clear on what on on what goes on. I. Um, the reason I use the word burden is because I used to be involved in training with the BBC, and frankly, a lot of the time you needed eyes in the back of your head. 
Yeah, but it's quite honest, what we do quite a lot of the time is buddy the apprentice with the other full-time staff members. So, for example, you know, the first sort of three months, they will spend a long a lot of the time with, with shepherds because they are mainly more manual-based roles and and fairly you're fairly restricted when you first take on an apprentice from being able to use equipment, tractors, machinery, because one, quite often they can't drive, and two, they don't have the necessary certificates. So we, we generally uh, enroll them into that side of it first. But what behind the scenes is really important with these guys, that when you tie them to a shepherd and do the manual labour side, they're also picking up stockmanship and shepherding skills at the time. So the argument is, is you know, if you learn those core skills, that's essential in in the, in whatever role you do with livestock enterprises. Andrew, how does the college fit into this picture? How much of an ongoing dialogue is there between the farmers and the colleges? Can you give me examples? Yeah, I, th- I think um, Sean's obviously on the, on this recording today, and we've worked for many many years with Sean at the clue and the way we work and it this doesn't happen with every college and in every training provider but likes a Sean likes the students to come to college for for a year or so to start with on a full-time course and and they might do a work placement for example up at Bow Hill or one of the other farms and then with a bit of liaison between ourselves, we'll, we'll, we'll say this this candidate might be suitable, and then we'll look to progress them from the full-time course onto, onto the apprenticeship scheme. So once they're on that apprenticeship scheme, we provide the training, not the on-farm training, the, the college training and the, the assessment. So they come into college on a part-time basis, which is agreed between ourselves and the employer, so they have the calendar for the year. Typically, uh, borders, what happens is they come in maybe 10, 10 days in, in the year and we tend to pick these days so they're not, you know, f- we wouldn't be bringing apprentices in just now. In the middle of lambing or something, you know? Exactly, exactly. So th- th- we, we speak to the employers and we, we set out a, an assessment schedule, what we're going to assess at particular times. And then we will send our college assessor out, for example, to Bow Hill to, to watch, the, watch the apprentice actually working in the workplace. And speak to Sean, speak to other people on the farm, and just to just to make sure that what's happening at the college is linked up to what's happening on the estate or the farm. And Sean, if, if you've got somebody who's come to you for an apprenticeship and you're not sure, you know, it, or rather that there are obvious gaps, there's obvious deficits in what they need to know, do you feed that back to the college and say, can you, you know, just bring them up to speed a bit on this and that and the other thing? What again? I'm trying to get a sense of how much this is a dialogue. Actually, the, the whole how we take on apprentices has evolved since we started. We, we generally, you know, in the past, you, we would maybe start an apprentice straight off. They would be full-time on farm and they would have the, the odd days here and there at college. The, the challenge we found with some of that situation, or some situation similar to that, was the fact that they were unsure as a whole whether they wanted to do an apprenticeship or where, what job they wanted to do for the future because quite a lot of these boys, when they came out of school, kind of walked into that role and felt this is the right thing to do. But actually, when they got a feel of the job, they didn't really want to do it. So we kind of changed it a bit slightly. And what we've, what we've partnered with, with Borders College on it is the fact that they'll take them as a full-time course student to start with. That allows them to engage with ourselves and the college and, and learn the skill basic skill sets that's required between us both. But the benefit is if they want to step away from agriculture and go and do another course like uh, gardening or estate management or 
or forestry or whatever, they can chop and change between those courses and step away from the farming side. But if they're 100% sure they want to go into agriculture or farming, they can they can then, we, are, we, we would evaluate them over a, a year's period and decide whether they're, they're fit to roll onto an apprenticeship. And this model that you've obviously got between Borders College and Baclue Estates, Andrew, is, is that the norm? Is that universal? It, it's it's not. Uh, the model we've described works really well with uh, Baclue. One reason Sean's already mentioned, we get a year to work out if, if that candidate's going to be correct for the farm and if that farm's going to be correct for the candidate. Plus, we get a chance to make sure their core skills and qualifications are up to the required level. But there's nothing to stop um, the majority of our apprentices do come in without having done a full-time course previously. So, you know, the model is really flexible and both work. And how does this work financially? I mean, who gets paid what? Well, these apprentices are fully employed by the, by the farms or the estates, so they're getting a wage and learning and, and achieving a qualification at the same time. There is an apprenticeship rate in agricultural wages, but we tend to find that most employers are paying above that rate now. And of course, as part of the apprenticeship scheme, the employer benefits by the employees getting commercial short courses as well, whether that be a, a forklift ticket or spraying or something that makes them a lot more useful on the farm. Sean, do you get, or does the estate get any financial support to take on apprentices? No, the, we view him as another employee, so he's on a full wage with us and the view is he's an additional additional member to the team so as Andrew says the benefits I suppose from our point of view is that the apprentices are going to pick up their core skills and their their forklift tickets and everything to keep the legalities side right from our side which we find is essential for what we need so so from our point of view yes there's a saving there in training costs compared to a full-time member but the benefit to us is obviously purely the fact that they're an extra member of staff. Again, this thought hadn't really crossed my mind till you spoke there. Is it always he? Do you get female apprentices through too? Have you had female apprentices through too? Yes, we've had females, yet. Um, We had three apprentices uh, until last year there. And uh, we had two two boys and and one female. And uh, yeah, never a problem uh, either way. Everyone gets their own same opportunity regardless of what happens here. We're finding in the last few years, we're getting more and more females coming into the apprenticeship scheme and progressing really well. And and traditionally, that that tended to be on the livestock side, but we're now seeing to see, see girls coming in and wanting to do more of the arable side as well. And in fact, this year at the Lantra Albus Awards, Alicia won top apprentice in Scotland, and she's progressed tremendously well in, on a farm in, in the Lothians and ended top apprentice in Scotland and, and top agricultural student. So there's no barriers for girls to come into this scheme. I'm going to ask you about advantages in a minute, but, you know, what are the main challenges about taking on an apprentice, Sean? I would say initially, because you have to be, well, it depends on the background on, on the students coming in, but quite often it can be someone completely green to the industry can perform probably better than someone has a wee bit knowledge, because wee bit knowledge can be dangerous. So actually, yeah, but but then I would say supervision is probably one of the challenges. Obviously, from our side, we have to monitor the students all the time um, initially. And as they progress through it, then they, they become more independent. And so there is that is probably the biggest challenge, especially from a from a small business point of view, because if you're if you're just a one-man band and taking an apprentice on. Supervision can be a challenge in, in, in that way. 
That's an interesting perspective, that, though, Andrew, because you go back way back when, and folk are going to be wondering why I'm talking about this. The RNLI, the Lifeboat Institute, um, in the old days, used to take people from a fishing background predominantly. You know, there were people who understood boats, they were accustomed to it and so on. Nowadays, they much prefer to get hold of people who have no experience at all, no background in this at all, so that they can train them the way they want them to go. And I definitely think that, you know, that from, from coming green into the environment, they're willing to take on a lot more of what you do and learn the methods you want to to work with rather than, rather than coming in and saying, well, actually, that's the way I've always done it. What are the advantages of employing an apprentice, Sean? Well, I think the huge benefit from our point of view is, as I say, initially, as I said, there's succession. You know, if I've got guys, four, four or five guys in the team that's coming up to retirement over the next five years, we need to be looking at potential replacements of, of the staff members. But the, I think the real benefit is the fact that you've tailored that member to come in for the future and he's he's tailored into your system so he fully understands and embraces what you're what you're doing on the ground and understands why you do it that way but it's not just that it's the fact doing the job is is one thing nowadays but there's a lot of paperwork goes with that role and as we become more aware of more apps and 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 technology coming onto farms everything's managed a lot more instantly so you know keeping records vet and med records is instant on farm so having these people embracing that from the start it's a lot easier and the younger generation now are far more technologically advanced compared to what we were in in our era this question to both of you do you think that industry-wide there are enough apprentices out there there's enough training being done i think there is still room for more because we're constantly getting phone calls and emails from farmers up and down the country looking for staff at the moment so there's an opportunity for more i mean things have progressed in the last few years we are involved with the pre-apprenticeship scheme which has been a great thing that started with ringlink further north in scotland we're involved with the board's machinery ring and the pre-apprenticeship sits below the apprenticeship schemes that we're talking about today. So that's been an addition in the last few years. So that that has created a lot more apprentices in the industry. Sorry to interrupt you, Andrew, but what is a pre-apprenticeship? How does it differ? The pre-apprenticeship, just as it says, it, it, it's below the apprenticeship scheme. So it's it's basically, it was started by Ringlink three or four years ago, and it, it was basically to get youngsters with no background in agriculture onto farms, and it feeds into the apprenticeship scheme. Um, that's how it works at the moment, certainly. And Sean, what's your view on this? Do we need more apprentices? Most definitely. You know, we're an we're an aging industry, and unless we br- we're bringing in youngsters into the industry, we're not going to have people coming into places down the line. Food is important as far as uh, you know, being able to produce food for the country. So at the end of the day, and I think that's going to become higher and higher up the agenda. So we need we need the people to be able to do the work. And if we don't have them, and if they don't have the necessary skill sets, which is probably more important than anything, we're going to have a huge challenge in the industry. Is there any guidance or is there anything out there, Andrew, that farmers could take a look at before they decide to take the plunge? Yes. If if you go and look on Borders College website, if you look at SRUC as well on their website, they've got clear course routes and, and descriptions of the apprenticeships on offer. But Employers could could also look at the toolkit. There's an employer's toolkit, which was developed by Lantra and the Skills for Farming group. And it goes through all the steps in the process of taking on an apprentice and you know talks about the different schemes and also talks about things like employment and induction, 
health and safety and where to go to find out more information. What would you say, Sean, to, to any farmer thinking of taking on an apprentice? It all comes down to understand your needs. And, and I would say there's, there's a couple of things here. If, you, if you're going to expect someone that's going to walk into a job and know fully what to do, an apprentice probably isn't the right thing to do. But if you want to build something for the future and have someone that you can liaise with for a long, long time and have him on farm for the future, I think that's where the apprenticeship thing fits in. And it all comes down to given time, what you can afford to put in time, because if you're never home and able to give someone time to to run apprentice, it's quite quite challenging, obviously, for them because they don't get the most out of it either. So. I think there's a lot to decide there on your requirements first before you just delve into it and, and think this is the silver bullet. However, you know, there's, there's massive rewards from actually being able to train someone up to fit in with your system, but also the benefits to the rest of the industry down the line, because we, we, we've had numerous apprenticeships. And I would say... They've not all been successful. You know, we've had a couple of guys that have been with us and nearly completed an apprenticeship and decided they didn't want to finish it and went to work in an apprenticeship in the mechanical industry. And now, now they've got great jobs in Canada working for John Deere and these companies. So the argument is, if we hadn't started with that, they probably wouldn't be still in the industry somewhere. That's true, I suppose. And stand the question on its head, Andrew. What would you say to any young person thinking of becoming an apprentice? I'd really encourage any youngster to, to, to think about becoming an apprentice. There's great opportunities out there. If you go back to when I was at school, agriculture was seen as a dead-end industry. You know, if you couldn't do anything else, you'd get a job in the farm or get a job in the mill. That's what, that's, that's what we were told at school. Now there's great opportunities. You know, you can move up the ladder. There's various steps, various levels of apprenticeships, and there are opportunities out there. And, it, you know, it's precision farming, there's agritourism, there's loads of branches out there that, not just youngsters, it's people that have been in other industries and have decided to come back into agriculture. There are loads of opportunities. And I think that's really, really encouraging because we have got the ear of careers advisors now. We've got the ear of youngsters coming through the schools. In the past, we didn't have that link. And agriculture, as I say, was seen as a manual grafting type job, but there's loads and loads of opportunities to progress. I mean, our apprentice, at, um, Alicia, who I mentioned before, you know, she's now been headhunted by organisations that have realised that she's come through the steps, she learns quickly, she works hard, she's committed to the industry. So, you know, other people are looking at her now and, and they're saying, well, she could move up into a different job. So that I, I would really, really encourage youngsters to come into agriculture. I must say, it's a real pleasure to actually talk about something that sounds quite so positive. There seems to be a lot of really good things going on at the moment. I, th I think there are. I mean, there, there are various courses. At Borders, we start with secondary schools and we bring them in to do half a day a week, a couple of afternoons a week on, on, on agriculture, on forestry and these type roles. And we capture them at that age and then they realise there's progression up the ladder. And, and I think agriculture, there are jobs of all the land-based industries at the moment and of all the land-based students we have, I, I would say more are, are gaining employment from agricultural courses than any other land-based industry. Interesting. Very interesting. Listen, thank you both very much for your time. Andrew Johnson from Borders College and Sean Williams from Bow Hill Estate in the Borders. Been nice speaking to you both. Very welcome. Thank you. 
I hope you found this useful. Um, next week, we're going to be talking to a gentleman from the University of Aberdeen who heads up the new product development team about the importance of technology and innovation in food production and the career opportunities that exist there. It might surprise you. Until the next time, I'm Mark Stephen. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. <laughs>